Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the First Word Podcast. My name is Alex, and I'm here with my co-host, Mike. And today we are going to be doing a discussion, which many podcasts have been doing, on uh, Jordan Peele's Us, his new horror film. And our guest today is Aaron Neuwirth, who's the uh, co-host of the Out Now podcast with Aaron and Abe, who, which is a show I've been on many times and I very much enjoy being on, Aaron. And also uh, a writer for the We Live Entertainment. Um, so uh, welcome to the show, Aaron. Thanks for joining us. Hey, glad to be here. Glad to be having the first word on the the movie you've just described has many other opinions on it already. <laughs> no, but you know, this is the name. Hey, look, the name comes from the fact that it's a early discussion on this. Uh, but no, it is it is um, a, a thing that everyone has already been talking about in every podcast. You invited me on your show this past week and unfortunately I couldn't make it. So now I've invited you on our show and I'm glad you could join us. You're, this is your first time on our show, which is much more casual than your very nicely organized and structured show which i i like because it actually has a structure <laughs> uh which is well, great and, and yes I'm, I'm happy to thank you for inviting me i'm happy to be here i'm happy to have an early discussion of a film that already grossed 70 million dollars in the domestic yeah, but this is great news, <laughs> great news. we love jordan peele's film um well my no, mom so, uh, hasn't I, seen it yet so okay good yeah. news Get to her the cinema people <laughs> We'll make sure to say spoilers for Mike's mom when we get to that part of the podcast, I assume. That's assuming she yeah. listens to this. Oh, I'm, we'll we'll make it happen. We'll, <laughs> this will be the first one. We'll, we'll, this is part of our goal. No, she listens, and if she's listening, uh, don't worry. I know you listen. Okay. Um, well, so obviously this uh, the, this is Jordan Peele's second feature film following Get Out um, and his Key and Peele background. And he's he's made the uh, full-on leap into filmmaking in addition to making the Twilight Zone series coming up, I think, this weekend. Um, so there's these, a lot he's doing in the filmmaking side, and this is his second feature. And, of course, there's the whole idea of the the sophomore slump because Get Out was so uh, heralded as a great success, as well as us now, as you've pointed out, Aaron, with a, with a good box office. Um, but... Uh, I really appreciate his style so much, and that's why I wanted to get into it because he's not just making, you know, uh, films that are like adaptations of work or just a, a director for hire. Here he's doing both of these films. He's doing something so original and something so much that he's created. And um, I, I don't know. I just really, there's something about it. I really love seeing him get into that. So uh, that's my introduction. And um, I mean, we should just say if you're going to listen any further, you should, you should have seen the film because it's so much to discuss and, and I don't want to there's like you can't even begin it without <laughs> getting yeah, I mean, ready so to the meat of it right? general thoughts aside I'm sure there's a better conversation to have by not like holding back from discussing all the things about us that kind of make it you know it, it's such a unique experience yeah and one thing I want to say is I, I the whole idea of comparing it to get out has been the thing since the moment people have been seeing it and that's it's a little frustrating but it's a little obvious like everyone's got to compare it to get out but it's also like I want to just appreciate it on its own as much as I would also love to appreciate Get Out on its own and separate the two and not have to like pit them against each other, and um, and just and just focus on us. So anyway, what did you guys think of it? What what is the general thoughts, Aaron? What did I, I read your review, but I want to hear you give some more. Okay, let me just pull it up and read it verbatim. No, I'll I'll explain. Yeah, <laughs> I um, <laughs> I mean I, I hear what you're saying about Get Out as far as not trying to match them up and i agree i mean I'm, I'm happy just to regardless of which one's like quote unquote better 
it's nice to just have two films like this that are presenting original concepts that clearly have lots of influence, but are managed well into creating films that clearly capture the audience's attention and Get Out's case won an Oscar, let alone massive success in its own right. And Us is looking to be at least partially on that way in terms of like critical and box office success. With that said, I was a big fan of Get Out and I was a big fan of Us. I think Us... It does the things that I really like horror movies to do, which is get under my skin, regardless of how mm -hmm. scared I am in the moment. And I'm sure that there were unnerving sections just because I didn't know what I was you know, seeing the first time. So you're kind of waiting in anticipation of what's going to be. But it it, it has things that, that actually get to me. Like, I'm a big horror fan. That said, I don't often get, like, scared in horror movies these days because, I don't know, I'm an adult. No, that's not the reason. But, I mean, it's just I've seen so many. <laughs> no, that's many. true, though. I, I mean, I, but you see so many horror movies, it's hard to be like, oh, this is a new thing. Like, I'm scared now. But, like, it has creepy kids, it has home invasion, and it has body snatching. So, like, those three things are actually the three things that tend to get me more in horror movies. <laughs> and it uses those very well to create something, you know, distinct into itself. And it's much much like get out i mean the which that's a film that kind of wears what it's trying to do right out in the open as far as it's kind of socio-political messages us similarly has that though it's not as pointed as something like get out i mean you will i'm sure we'll talk about all the implications and ideas and takeaways that we've had separately on the film but there's a lot you can read from it and what i like about this what I like about Peel's kind of his choices for his second film is that he doesn't just kind of repeat what made his first film a success. He's pivoted. He's done something that's less quote unquote crowd pleasing um, and instead made something more heady, uh, something that you'll want to think about more as you can kind of walk away from it. Not in the same way as get out where it's pretty um, like there's no. You're not looking at Daniel Kaluuya's, Kaluuya's character and thinking, I don't know if he made the right choice. Like, sure, you're, he's the good guy. This film, there's some questions that you can have about some of the characters here. Uh, so there's there's elements like that I really enjoyed. And just from a, like a visceral level, like it's just a well-technically-made technical, film. It's great to like look at. The score is fantastic. The performances are phenomenal. Lupita Nyong'o in her first like lead role is great. Like She mm -hmm. gives two performances that are very memorable. And the sense of humor that this film has is also great. So yeah, I was just I was a big fan of this all the way through. It's my favorite film of the year currently, even though we're only in March. Ooh, Ooh. that's a bulk. No, it's good. I, I I'm I'm glad you said all this because it really <laughs> sums up exactly how I I I feel about it too. And I don't have to say it all again. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the things that you made me think that I wanted to talk about uh, going in is this idea of the expectations of it being a horror. Like I think some people are being let down because it's not like a full all out slasher kind of horror. And I, 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 of course, we can't. In a previous episode, we I think it was the glass episode. We had a big debate about expectations, but you can't really hold those accountable for what you're going to get because some of that's based on marketing and and hype and all this. But at the same time, it's like you, you know, as critics and as film people, we can appreciate a film we see. But I've I've had or I've read some of the complaints online where I feel like people are going in expecting more horror, horror, horror. And there's a a, a good balance of different genre elements to it from straight sp suspense and just all-out gore and horror too, like like uh, thought-provoking, thrilling, you know, psychological ideas. Um, I was, uh, I, I hear what you're saying. I was happy to participate in the, the IndieWire critic survey this week where yeah. the question regarded the concept of elevated horror and mm -hmm. which to me just seems like a very snobby way of saying, well, it's horror, but it's better. And right. I, it's like, I don't like that we've stigmatized horror so much as far as what it what the genre can deliver and just using that term 
kind of rubs some the wrong way. I think it's such a wide, there's such a wide variety of things that all fall under the, you know, the umbrella of horror and let alone the appreciations are going to vary. Not everyone's going to like the witch the same way they're going to like, I don't know, Friday the 13th, as far as films that are kind of diametrically opposed to each other. Mm -hmm. And this film, yeah, there's an expectation set, I suppose, as far as whether or not it's delivering on kind of, like I mentioned, the kind of purely vis on a purely visceral level at the same time. I kind of wish that those that are maybe less satisfied would think a bit more about what they actually saw. Cause like, sure. It's <laughs> yeah. maybe not delivering a movie that's saying that, you know, that's just like everyone's getting killed or whatnot left and right. And it's a big bloody mess. But at the same time, it's like, didn't you enjoy seeing something that you haven't really seen before? Yeah, I can't exactly. think of a film that's mainstream like this, that I've seen in this kind of way. If that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, the only comparison I keep thinking of is Suspiria from last year that is very, like it never really scared me at any point in a in the conventional horror sense, but at the same time, there's so much like cerebral stuff going on and like minimalized filmmaking techniques that that get under your skin in that one too. And that's and not this, even a mainstream sort of film, it. though. I mean, that's like, yeah, you know, yeah, that's, for that's sure. A, it's an Amazon film that came in like a couple theaters and is two and a half hours long. <laughs> like it's like that's not a. But people knew about movie. that at least. But but yeah, I, 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 and I I hope. It, at least amongst the critics I've been following, everyone immediately says, like, you need to see it again. Not in any bad way, but in a way that it's like, there's so much to it, there's so much to get from the second time. It's not only one of those films where once you know what happens by the end, you see it differently, but it's also like every scene, you can pick up more and more to it, which is, um, I, I want to get Mike's thoughts first, but like, but before we go into the spoilers, that's the stuff that that he, he packs into it beyond the surface level story of what we see, is his, like, everything in every scene. So, Mike, what what did you think, Mike? Um, I <clears throat> I didn't really like it all that much. Oh. Yeah, I haven't thought about it probably at all since seeing it on Friday you, night. You, you, I don't know if you're you being a jokester here. <laughs> you do know I'm being a jokester. Let's be real. We have literally not stopped texting you or tweeting about this movie since I saw it. It's it's absolutely just wrapped my brain. And I can't shake it, and I'm really upset. I haven't had a chance to see it again. And and for um to be clear, I'm not uh, I'm not a, a bona fide horror fan. Um, I don't dislike horror films. I just somehow don't get drawn to them. I see the trailers, and I sort of feel like uh, it's like going on a roller coaster on purpose, which you don't usually go by accident, but. I, I, <laughs> it's like it's like experiencing you know Whoops, how'd I, go this roller coaster? <laughs> I know i've been on a roller coaster before <clears throat> i did not like it i tried it again i didn't like it both feelings felt the same despite them being different roller coasters i don't bother going on them anymore I know I'm how actually, I feel. I, I agree with you. I'm actually not a roller coaster fan. Right. So, so it, it's a it's a loose analogy, not one that anybody with a deep knowledge of horror would ever agree with. And I understand that I'm being naive here to the the sort of you know intricacies of horror. And all that being said, watching this and listening to Jordan Peele speak, and now having seen both of these films really catch me in a way I didn't expect, I'm now more interested than ever in the genre. Uh, because if he is this passionate about this genre and, and focusing on this way of storytelling, then certainly there are other films that have done it the way that he did it that would capture my attention, my intrigue. And so I'm going to go find those movies, and I'm going to hopefully get some 
suggestions from both of you on it. But my point, my, my main overarching point is that this did something that I don't always expect the horror genre to do, which is captivate me beyond the scares. And I was never really like just waiting for the next scary moment to happen. It was a well-written thriller with very tense moments that sort of kept you at the edge of your seat while never really only being about the action. I actually was really curious and invested in every moment and wondering what was going to happen next because I, I knew there was a point, right? And, and I think when I watch a movie like this, I just want there to be a fucking point. You know, I don't. What? Not I, just pure entertainment, like to add and have you. Like, not just you know, to get my skin. So not just for my skin to crawl. Not just for me to jump. Not just for me to be scared, but for me to think about why this thing is on screen. And and I think that's what really made this movie different for me. I, I just it was like it, you you knew going in whether it was by the trailers or whether it was by certain comments you'd hear, you know, on film Twitter or wherever that this was the kind of movie you need to pay attention to every single frame. And so from frame one, I was zoned in. I'm looking at every single pixel on the screen, trying to see what I'm being told. And I didn't even understand it. I mean, I'm still grasping everything that we saw. And so, you know, without going into the sort of same comments that you both have already made, which I agree with, you know, on, on the merits of the film and, and it being this and that, uh, what really stood out to me was how invested I was in the whole experience. And on top of it, I don't know if you guys went with other people or you went to a press screening, wherever you saw it first, but I went with my wife, who is an absolute no on anything scary. I usually have to go to the theater by myself to these movies. Um, like Mother, for example. Okay, she watches the trailers. She is not going to that movie, despite the fact that it's I'm not like, even a horror. Yeah. Well, yeah, despite the fact that it's probably not in the same genre, but it looks scary as shit. And she won't even go. I dragged her to this movie because I had this feeling that it was going to be more than just that, you know, cliche that she thinks horror films are. And we walked out of the theater and she said, I really didn't want to like that movie, but I loved it. And I want to go back. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So we've been talking about it a lot. And that's been really fun for me. So I'm just in love with this movie. And we can get into the, the details of, of why we all love it or what we would have liked to have seen different, whatever. But that's kind of my long-form take there. Yeah, I would even honestly say I admit it's not perfect. Like I would say there's a couple things that bother me or I wish um, they wouldn't pack all the exposition into like two scenes with regarding the tethered. Um but like, actually, one of the things I wanted to ask you—you you made me think about this, Mike—was was this idea of like not figuring it out. Like, even I just saw it again a second time earlier today, and even even the second time, I'm like, I still don't totally understand it. But that doesn't bother me as much as I think it should. You know, some films are like, oh, I don't understand it, or it tries to be more than it is, and then that bothers me, or that's a flaw in the film. But for something like, and this this is my great launching point to get into the rest of our discussion. And I almost want to ask Aaron, like, did you just understand this immediately right off the bat? Or do you do you feel like me where you're just like, I don't totally understand every little last piece of it, but I still appreciate every little last piece of it anyway? When you're saying understand it, are you referring to just kind of, do you think I have, do I think I have a handle on the themes that are being communicated here or? Yeah, but also beyond yeah. that, like, 
the there's 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 the very basic not basic the the uh -huh. surface level story of the family and uh -huh. the, and the duality and the the doppelgangers or the tethered and then it plays out and they get out but like the the layered pieces of like who, what does it all mean of course thematically but also who they are and what it's representing and what what peel's point is with all of this because it is mm -hmm. you sit there for two hours and you do hope that there is a point to this and he is trying to say something in a way where it's not uh, off-putting thankfully well yeah then i have two answers to that on the on the surface level as you're saying yeah i i would say yes i have a handle on how this how this works like obviously peel is purposely holding back specific details on the nature of the doppelgangers like what they were truly intended for how they were created what have you but i think you can understand the sense you can get a sense of what the logic is that led to them being made um so or you know and like what how that works obviously obviously it's fantastical like not not at all it doesn't have to make sense although i think the the within the movie's logic it makes its own level of sense i'm sure like if you asked peel he could explain to you exactly how it works in terms of what his movie's telling you um logistically in a grounded real world yeah it's going to be a little weird because you know there's like an elevator down to hell it's like <laughs> it's crazy um <laughs> almost literally a, yeah yeah on, or an escalator sorry on a kind of more thematic level and kind of what social commentary is going for obviously there's going to be i think varying takes uh, from this which i've already seen in terms of the writing about this film but i'm <clears throat> i have i have a share of them and i'm still kind of think i'm still wrestling with other thoughts on excuse me <clears throat> i'm still wrestling on some other thoughts on what exactly could be being what else could be being said uh, at the same time there's certain obvious ones like the movie literally ends with a giant useless red wall of people <laughs> across america so i mean there's it's it's not like it's hiding certain ideas that are kind of behind some of the some of what's taking place here but i mean you can you can chalk you can chalk some easy ones up as far as like the have and the have nots uh your own the human condition being explored your sense of duality uh, actually, on, on my podcast the other day, one of our guests uh, brought up the the concept of slavery being a big part of this, which I actually didn't take away until he brought that up. Uh, I mean, so there's there's a lot here, and it's not all inherently political, um, even yeah. though you can certainly ascribe to that because the movie's, I mean, it's called Us, which you can see as U.S., and you can look at the red jumpsuits representing a certain part of America, or you can even just look at the idea of this kind of unwanted or forgotten fat part of America certainly we're suddenly rising up and coming up against the, you know, those that, that the haves. So there, there's a lot there. And yes, I would say I'm fair. I'm fairly satisfied with what current thoughts I have on what I've taken away, what I think it is, but I'm, I'm willing to, you know, say, yeah, there's plenty more. I'm sure that's also kind of being you know, communicated here. Yeah. Someone made a reference to room two, three, seven, um, I think that's the right one uh, about the shining and like the multiple interpretations of it, where it's almost like there's not one correct, even though some of them in that film are a little bit out there and a little bit wacky. But at the same time, like even if Jordan Peele didn't particularly intend in one scene to make this person's shirt mean this, that doesn't necessarily mean we can't also have our theory or our interpretation based off of that, especially because he's so, beautifully crafted a film where it's all in there. I think like one of the things that most impressed me the moment I was watching this was how how meticulous it is. And I don't want to make like, uh, you know, mm -hmm. Kubrick comparisons, but just in every scene, a meticulousness to, the, you know, every piece of clothing they're wearing and the sets and what's in the backgrounds and all of these things 
where um, where it also doesn't feel in your face or or like overtly annoying that he's doing this, that he's planting this, and that he's setting this up. Something um, I something I really like about filmmakers like Peel that are you know kind of within our generation or at least you know somewhere closer to us is that they've but much like the directors that they are homaging or paying tribute to, they've studied today. They've studied and they've studied the films that they've been you know grow, growing up with or what have you, and so. Yes, you can look back to like Carpenter and other filmmakers from like the 80s and the 70s who are looking back to directors from the 40s and 30s or what have you and how they, that influenced their films. So now you have directors that are being influenced by the, those films, these those more recent films, and they're applying their own sense of logic to it in addition to just taking on how today's culture functions. I, I am happy that Peel's film is not set out to kind of appease the CinemaSins fans for whatever that is. It's <laughs> more it's more happy to be abstract and obscure and not really think about how ambiguous ambiguity is going to frustrate some people because who cares yeah, exactly. <laughs> but at the same time at the same time he has a level of control over how he wants to present his film and you mentioned something like kubrick you can look at a lot of directors that he's clearly taking from and i actually mm -hmm. like this did you see uh gaspar noe's climax yeah yeah <laughs> i i like the new theme of like hey let's have directors framing their influence is on the side of the screen at the beginning of their film to like give you a, give you a heads up. <laughs> so. I, but that's great because it's like some of these films like Chud, uh, you know, a lot of people might not be familiar with it. They're like, hey, we're just going to put the VHS right on the wall in front of you, staring you down, forcing you to watch it, basically, and go out and find these films. Why not? I like that. I, I don't think the Chud reference is like, uh, you know, maybe merely uh, a reference to the fact that they're underground sewer people but like that's it you know there's there's not a like you're not going to put that in and be like no i understand us more now that i've seen this yeah, um the, and it, the best kind of videos i'm excited for are the ones that are like super cuts of all the references and homages made in us like because like yeah, i, cause I yeah. that is fun to see like visualize like there's a not there's a lot that i see there's a shot that i noticed a lot because uh, there's a lot of shining in this movie specifically, I think. Yeah. And there's a one shot where after the twins are killed, they go up the stairs and you see the two twins sprawled on the ground exactly like the little girls on The Shining. It's like, oh, that's a cool like framing device yeah. right there. Like, it's, there's a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. Even, I also um, was really sort of like felt like the hand of Hitchcock was fairly heavy here. Mm -hmm. And yeah. what I, what I, one of the things I really liked about Jordan Peele's ability to reference past cinema was that he didn't you know, gloat about it. He wasn't doing Tarantino's, you know, I'm going to name every character after a famous character from a movie that I love from old time cinema. And it's like, he, he does it in a way that feels subtle that the people who really love uh, classic films and even some of the, you know, more recent, but you know, um, last generation horror films can see right away without losing their attention on the film. They're, they're never, He's not just trying to throw these things in as Easter eggs. They actually seem to be inspiring him on paper and not just something that he tells, okay, hey, uh, you know, production designer, these are your list of tchotchkes you have to put somewhere in the scenes. For sure. And I, you know, we, we've talked about other directors already as far as who people could be kind of homaging or paying tribute to or you know what he's even matched against and what i like about this people have been saying people bringing up like spielberg and Shyamalan as far as jordan peele as the next this or that i like the jordan peele to me so far as just the next jordan peele like he's yeah. certainly creating his own distinct uh, you know flavor of film whether based around mainly be based around the idea of having you know black casts 
specifically, you know, dark black skinned uh, cast members being like represented more in mainstream cinema and combining that into social thrillers. And I think there's a lot to take away there in addition to just him being a, you know, a movie geek, a guy that gets this and has a way, has the way that he wants to present kind of his fandom for film in his films. And you can point to someone like Tarantino, who obviously is, you know, he's, he's high up there as far as the guys that have all this knowledge that just want to spill it out on the screen. And he does it in his very specific way. He does it in a very overt fashion. It doesn't make it better or worse. It just makes it different. So I like that Peel is, yeah, he's the way he's, he's putting stuff on screen certainly feels like a way unique to himself. It doesn't feel like he's doing his version of what somebody else would do. Well, I also, going back to your comment about the political nature of, of the mm-hmm. film, ironically, when Alex, you know, right after I saw it, you said, you know, do you feel like the, the Republican Democrat sort of uh, allegiances are right on display here? And I, I was like, no, what do you mean? I didn't see that you at all. Like? No, I, 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 I didn't see it at all. I had completely put my blinders on to anything political. Then what? Then what did you see? No, no. Today? Well, I'm telling you though that over time, as I started thinking about it, and I started to even see a comment that Jordan Peele made about how the "We Are Americans" line is very, mm-hmm. very specifically a commentary in and of itself on what's happening in America. The whole movie works as a commentary on that if you just think about it in that context. So I'm sold as hell on that now. But what I love about the movie is that it isn't one thing. And you can't have a conversation with somebody in which one person says it was very clearly about the political division in our country and the forgotten people or whatever. And somebody else say, no, it wasn't. It was about this it's it, it is and can be many things at the same time and for me when i left the theater i had like sold myself on the idea that amongst other things it was very clearly a a, a commentary on black america especially during the crack epidemic and how the government was mm. really kind of deciding for themselves how the black communities were going to thrive or not thrive in this country because the line that struck me in the film about this being a government experiment and that they gave up on it i I hear what you're saying and i i i I agree i mean there as i i believe i mentioned this as well yeah there's there's a lot of interpretation interpretation there's a lot of the film up for interpretation in the film isn't that you know it's not trying to tell you exactly what to think and and you can even extend that to you know a political angle where I I I think obvi- I think leans a certain way fairly obviously. At the same time, I don't think the film is deli- you know it's not deliberately choosing you know to be on a Democratic or a Republic side or Republican side. I I think you can walk away with multiple interpretations of what that's trying. It's not trying to tell you to think that this is right or what have you, uh, which I can appreciate. I do think there's a there's a way you can easily alienate. A, I think. A film like I don't know Vice, for example, there's a way to alienate a moviegoer as far as where they align versus what they want to see in their entertainment. And I don't think us is one that's deliberately trying to kind of make one side of the conversation feel like feel bad about something or feel out on it. I think you can right if they had like some leader who was blonde and uh, like six foot four (laughs) and you know speaking in extremely deliberate terms about the other side being evil, it would be different. Mm -hmm. But it's so abstract. 
And yet, when you really kind of hone in on something, it, it's not abstract anymore, and it makes total sense. And that's what's fun about the film. And you know, I mean, you could go on and on about about how the government and the crack epidemic and and those things are connected, and how the uh, you know the Tim Heidecker and Elizabeth Moss characters are sort of this upper class white America, and yuppies, and we love watching them get it really good. And it's just so there. There's so oh, yeah. much obviously there. It's commentary, and what 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 most what makes it most enjoyable is that you can tell the guy behind these thoughts is smart, and he's thinking, and he's not mm-hmm. just trying to put asses in seats. He's not just trying to scare you. He's not trying to do one thing. He has so many ideas, and he wants to get them out. And somehow he found a way to get them all out at the same time, so that it's like a Rorschach test for every single person. And and that that to me is what movies can be at their best. And I, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that us in five years will be a movie that I still you know recall and talk about. I, it might be. Right now, it feels like it will be. But I can't imagine what people were thinking back when The Shining came out. I don't think they were having these conversations. I feel like that happened over the course of 20, 30 years of movie fandom just taking over. So. It's such a different time now when you actually make a movie that we can honestly have a conversation here and reference it in comparison to The Shining to think about it having that much nuance that it could last 20 to 30 years later and people could be making documentaries about all those nuances. I'm not sure yet, but it's amazing that we finally have another movie to talk about in that way because I think the last one that I can really recall is Inception that had people talking like this for an extended period of time. I mean, I could, I could try to think about a number of films that do, but it, that, that's regardless. I hear what you're saying. And again, I agree as far as films that capture the zeitgeist in some way beyond just like entertainment value or even just, you know, basic like social themes, such as something like black Panther, you have movies that are challenging you to consider a variety of options because the answers aren't spelled out to you. And that is something I can very much appreciate, especially in the horror genre and if you're talking about, you know, in five years from now, whether we're still talking about us or not, if we're not, that just makes me think that other filmmakers took that ball and ran with it to also give you a lot of heady films to think about because it's like we can only move forward with things like this when they're successful. And that's something I've really been happy with when it comes to Jordan Peele because Get Out and Us are looking to be very successful films, ones that don't just sit on the same old, same old as far as what they're delivering. They're actually trying to do something provide a you know provide under underrepresented actors and act, types of actors you know the chance to be on screen in front of a mainstream audience and surprise surprise the 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 audiences that that are made up of not the ones we typically necessarily think of are showing up to the theater to see those people on screen um and that that actually that actually speaks to another thing i like about the film you mentioned like what we could have how the film could have played it as far as who we're seeing and who was like a villain or whatnot. I like that both the here quote unquote hero and villain in this film are black people like that. You have, you, you, you have a uh, very specific choices on how you're, sh- you know, showing who's like in charge here and who's, you know, the antagonist. And it's not making necessarily a statement about that. It's just like, we're just, it's, ca- it's casting because, Hey, this is how we're casting. This is what Peel wants to do. You can read into it if you want to, but it also just, it fits for what's being, required here which should probably bring us to the act like the performances we should probably talk about that a little bit because i think there's some outstanding work being done by everyone in this cast yeah 
I, to your point, Aaron, the, he he does that in a way that it makes it feel so like um, he's so comfortable in that presentation of it. It's not like showy or trying to be purposefully this. It's just like, oh, here's another story and here's how it is. And I love seeing it that way. And I love seeing this this time when I was watching it uh, a second time today. I thought even the the other white family is like the way a token black family would be included in the story. Now they're the token white family, and we get that exact like. Flip on it, and that they're the you know they get killed first, and they get like they're all cheesy in all these ways, and and well, they, um, they and hit like them with every with yeah. with all of the sort of stereotypes that you hear in stand up comedy from uh, black comedians when they do you know white voices and make fun of white people, and it's it's funny and it it it's true, and it's just sort of like this this shit that um has never had screen time, which is to to just sort of poke fun at this absurd whiteness of uh, the the way people act, and they go to their stupid beach houses, and they want to go get <laughs> vodka o'clock bullshit. That you know, uh, we've seen it uh, time and time again, where um, in stand up comedy, especially, it's sort of the joke about this is the stuff that you're not going to catch black people doing. I I want to point out my favorite comedy line in this movie is when Winston when they're trying to break in and they're using the key and when and Lupita yeah. she says to Winston Duke is like it's got the hide a key and he's like hide a key what kind of white bullshit like it's just yeah. so funny. Yeah. <laughs> and you know having a little bit of, of background on Jordan Peele's brain helps a lot I think in seeing this if he was if he had come out of absolutely nowhere to make get out and this movie I think it we would still all be enamored with it but there's something about having key and Peele in the background and having seen a lot of how his brain works and how he sees culture, class, race, um, and, and funnels them into a comedic way um, for that show, but has now found a way to reverse the tide and have the drama and the thrill and the action be foreground and the comedy just live the way comedy lives in the real world, which is that there are just funny moments sometimes and dad jokes are real. And, you know, I mean, these things don't get screen time very often. It's either a comedy or it's a horror. Or if it's a horror comedy, there are characters whose only role is to be funny. And I just think that that was a really nice balance in this film, especially. You, you sort of, it, it disarms you. And you get really complacent and comfortable, even if it's for a, just two minutes. And then, you know, what great filmmakers do is they, they get you to that state of mind and then they flip it on you and that's when they catch you off guard and he does that very often in this film without having you know like the attic stairs fall to scare people just to have you jump everything had a purpose there is a big lack of jump scares in it there's a actually the the only jump scare that i can recall is the one that's mocking you it's when she walks into the the um Merlin's forest or whatever the hell at the beginning and like the little owl pops out and like it's like it, it does it like it's so cheap and cheesy it's like yeah this is not that kind of movie that's what we're like let's get this out of the way because it's in a carnival yeah. it's what those yeah. it's what the other people make to try and scare you and then behind the mirror is the <laughs> real fear actually fun thing about that too like the beginning it's in the 80s it's called like what like the like a Native Americans like like um like it's like uh, a like shaman's speech, vision like speech, quest. Yes, shaman's like vision quest. And then in like in in 2019, it's like politically correct. It's just Merlin's Merlin's forest or something like that. Like it's, been <laughs> it's a little. It's like that's a fun little touch. Yeah. Well, I also think that a film like this, um, my favorite type of movie is one that can sort of make me rethink my reality. And 
you know, whether it's, uh, you know, when I'm dreaming, do I do all these things? Or is it, am I actually myself? Am I just, uh, have I been replaced at, when I was six and I have no idea? Because I don't really have lots of memories before I was eight or nine. Is that because I was switched? And just sort of like spend a little bit of time in your own head wondering how real this all could be. Instead of spending time in your head trying to figure out how they got so many scissors and, and bullshit like that. Like, yeah. that's that's what movies do for me. And this one, tenfold. You you made me, uh, Aaron, you mentioned that the performances. The one thing I wanted to, that blows me away every time I watch this is that I, I completely forget that there are dual performances. Like, I just yeah. am so <laughs> lost on it. And the one thing that also, on top of that, blows my mind away again is the idea that to shoot this, you have to do... The setup is where you shoot one side only, and then you usually use something like a bug in your ear to listen to that performance back. While then you shoot the other side of it, and I can I like I'm you know we used to with a uh, uh, moon be so impressed by that and like talk about the duality of that, but now we have a whole family and more people, but at least the main four family members doing that, and yet we're all dramatically visually different as well. Yeah. Like you know they have to you have to apply a lot of prosthetics and wigs and makeup or what have you to make those to to, to create those characters as well. So it's not just a simple okay, put this jumpsuit on and stand on the other side of the camera now. Like you have to do a lot more than that. Yeah, I know, and I can't, I, I can't. It's I'm so thankful, thankfully to what Mike just said. I'm so lost in the film that I'm not even thinking about it, and that's incredible mm -hmm. i think that that i actually i think the moment it's going to hit me is if i see a back a behind the scenes video which there hasn't been anything of that yet and like to uh, yeah, see yeah. them shooting it one one you know one side only and then flipping it like that'll probably be the moment that'll finally hit me and how technically impressive that is and also still you know layered with these incredible performances from every single one of them where the whole other tethered side of them is just like i i, I don't think my head is truly wrapped around them pulling that off and what they're doing in that tethered performance in a in a completely physical performance kind of way yeah it it speaks to peel's ambition here from get out where that's a you know that's a lower cost movie they're both bloomhouse productions and even this one isn't a huge budget movie but still 20 mil you know it's like quadruple the budget of his last film and he uses that to his advantage the film has a bigger scope but it also has the chance to kind of play with the performances and really get into that and i yeah i'd imagine performance and as well as some clever use of visual effects are really handy here to give you distinct people you're focusing on but it also is a giant credit to the actors which is Courtney Ongo, Duke, Moss, and Heidecker as well as the kids who are also I think very good in this movie yeah. You, oh, yeah. yeah they're not just throwaway you know side characters they have their own like things about them that make them who they are and they have these creepy doppelgangers that go with them too like I think the I mean the boy with the Matt Pluto I guess is the mass version like that's inherently creepy because yeah he's crawling on all fours and it looks creepy it's weird and he has a mask on but the the girl Zora's doppelganger Umbre <laughs> it's there's something like really deliciously evil about how she acts where she has this like this this crazy smile like she's just we can't yeah. wait to stalk her her you know her <laughs> doppelganger in this and it's it's these are creepy things to me they're and it's speaking to the children just once more you don't often see creepy black children in a movie, which I was like, I was really fascinated by this thinking about that. It's like, there's, there's some really like interesting subversions of what you tend to see in movies like this. It's like, that's not, that's a, that's a visual that I, I don't tend to get very often. Really? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm curious now. I'm, I'm thinking as a, you know, as a black horror fan, I, I know what I've seen a lot in movies. And I'm like, I haven't seen this very often before. Like creepy black children. <laughs> it's got stalking after people.
This is crazy. Well, yeah, I, I mean, you want to talk about representation in film. Mm-hmm. That this is a genre that's been just we. I mean, it's it's been ripe for the taking, and mm-hmm. n- nobody has really gone for it in the way that I think Jordan Peele has, and it tends to be you know comedies have been the only way that they've that uh, you know we've seen black actors in horror roles i feel like uh either they are a comedic role in that or it's a it's like the scary movie series which is a parody so it's a, yeah it's a i don't know if you guys have watched the the documentary horror noir that's on shutter i don't uh, know but i heard about it is it it's, 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 it's really good I, I wish it was longer that's how good it is because uh, it's only 90 minutes and there's so much to speak on and you're not in inac- you're not inaccurate mike i mean it's it's an underrepresented aspect of the genre as far as getting you know black stars in there and what they're actually what they tend to be kind of uh, piled into there are exceptions obviously Candyman is a huge exception but i mean there that that's you know few and far but that's an exception to the rule um and here is a you know peel as a filmmaker is making a very conscious choice to you know make films about the people that he didn't see when he was growing up watching horror that he said he said that very specifically in, or in both times he's been interviewed probably about this kind of thing it's like yeah i'm just putting in the kinds of characters i don't tend to see in these movies because one that's something you haven't seen before, and that's kind of why you want to go to the movies. You want to see things you haven't necessarily seen before. And two, it just, yeah, it just, made, it, it's not a bad thing. Like, there's no reason not to do something like that. So I also yeah, think, it, like, what I appreciate um, about his approach is that while it's very important to him, and it's and it's very clear that it is because of of the the overwhelming casting choices and what his films are about at their core, but it's never the point and you know it's never mm-hmm. it's never it doesn't alienate viewers who for, in one way or another feel like a movie with an all-black cast is not for them which is a problem in american cinema going i mean it's just it's a serious problem and it's why oftentimes i think we have a problem in in hollywood with creating diversity in films because there seems to be a dichotomy of well you know there are films for uh, black people to go to and there are films for white people to go to and that's pretty much how it works but then it's such bullshit when there are great examples of movies that work for everybody they're universally loved and tell the stories of people who are underrepresented in film and i think sometimes it it comes down to a filmmaker understanding that they don't have to pander to a specific audience in order to show that diversity is Oh, something that needs to be welcomed in film and also doesn't have to be hitting the nail over the head to make that point. It just is. This is a story that takes place in the real world and the main four characters, the main family happens to be a black family. Like it's not made geographically or in any other way to feel like, oh, this is a movie for black audiences. This is a movie for anybody who wants to see a thrilling film that has a lot of layers. And when you really look at it, you can understand a little bit of what messages they're trying to get across, whether it's a cultural message or whether it's simply a a political message or a socioeconomic message, whatever it is. So I just think he's sort of transcended this problem in Hollywood about how we create diversity in film and whether or not it has to be explicit or whether it can just be a part of the sort of landscape of talented actors. Why the hell is this the first film Lupita Nyong'o has been in since um, 12 Years a Slave, or at least the, the, the first high-profile one? That, that blows my mind. She's been in other films. Come That's on. why the first high-profile film. No, you're not, you're not yet. Well, I mean, 
yeah, she's mostly the supporting motion capture roles in Star Wars and Jungle Book, and then she has like Queen Akatwe, which is quite good, but she's another again supporting character. This is her first like lead role yeah post-op i actually story. forgot about queen of cotway which i i wanted to see and then just it, it fell off the radar but i i actively did not count voice roles where in which she played a yeah. two foot tall alien and uh <laughs> and, and as an big of a star wars fan as you are but yeah yeah i don't yeah, i, I mean, don't I count don't, her I, because i i can't speak to family members and say yeah you you like you love her she's that character in star wars like, oh i didn't know that this is it's just different and she deserves to have it, more opportunities to show how incredibly talented she is. I, I also don't think it's due to a lack of opportunity. I think that she's just been careful of what she wants to choose well, because she, beca- so. she became a very high-profile star following her breakout performance post in Oscar win. Yeah. And it's not like she's been unbusy. I just oh, think I'm sure also, she has thousands she her, of her, opportunities. Her pick of scripts, yeah. So it's embracing this one. I think is both smart on her part, but all, it, it's not like she's been again. Not, it's not like she hasn't been in two of the like biggest, <laughs> two of the biggest hits of the past like few decades. Well, I'm um, sure I'm sure that she's turning down tons of roles that just aren't the kind of performances or roles that she wants to be remembered for, yeah, and she's not like just going to say yes to everything. Or, yeah, exactly. Roles are like the wife of something, so it's like here you have a really meaty role to sink into where she's playing both the, you know, the, the mother of one family and the antagonist of the, or quote unquote antagonist of the film. And both performances, especially when you think about the film after you've seen it, the, 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 the main the Adelaide performance really starts to shine more because of all the layers that go into what's actually going on. And the red performance, I mean, you talk about how like there's two giant scenes of exposition dump and it's basically just red talking, but I was enthralled each time because of how 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 off the like the vocal performance is and just how she's delivering all these lines and just her movements like it's a really it's really strong work it, it's very it's like the kind of thing where it's like oh yeah that's why she kind of broke out this way she's a very good actress and it's it's obviously unfair to assume that all she is is an actress as well. She possibly has many other commitments in her life that she wants to do that aren't about acting. It's not all she wants to do is act five movies a year every year. Um, and that might happen someday. She's super young. The The voice the voice situation was just mind-blowing. I mean, I didn't expect it. I don't know if it was... I, it was, I had to have been in the trailers. But when it happened, I was just... Th- I was so enthralled by it. It was just an amazing ability to do that. And when you find out more about it and you hear what she did to study some people who have um, like an affliction that yeah, affects their that they, where they can't voice disability. With, I don't know if that's yeah. accurate, but but that, that it actually is rooted in a real thing. That's mm-hmm. always super fun and, and just adds layers to performance. I hate to jump on sort of Oscar bandwagon discussions this early, but it's just one of those performances that you you feel like you have to say out loud, she deserves an Oscar I mean, for it, this. It's not a bad thing to do because it speaks to what people should be doing when it comes to uh, accolades and award consideration. It's speaking up for genre films and films that don't come out in October through December. Like that, that's that's why that's how this is how you start that conversation to kind of make things happen. It's why people you know wanted. Tony Collette to get nominated for Hereditary, a, a horror film that came out in what June of last year. Or you know, it's like, yeah, you want to speak up for that now before people get caught up in like what British person played this royal figure and needs to be nominated like before that happens. Yeah, I I don't know, I don't I I I, I it is an idea. It is the hope that she's like the quality stands out over it. I just don't know. I just don't think the Academy will truly care about horror enough. 
No, I don't either. But it's still, you know, it's, <laughs> not, it's nice to approach that kind of conversation yeah. early on. We, at least we try. can have hope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're trying. I mean, yeah. Speaking of performance, like, yeah, Duke is also. All of them are great, but like, Duke is great at like, especially going from um, Mbaku in Black Panther to this character, like, especially the dad, where it's like this this dorky dad who re he really brings this like nice charm to his role as far as a ver you know a version of stereotypical dad, regardless of color. He's just dorky dad character, and he's saying dorky jokes and whatnot. And it's really it's nice. It brings a sense of warmth. I mean, the whole half first half hour of this movie does a great job of setting you up with this family and giving you a good presentation of who they are and how they interact. The calm before the storm, so to speak. And so it it works. It's a it's a it's another effect. And then you get his kind of hulking, you know, barking uh, doppelganger character who's like <laughs> just this block this brick wall. And it's like, yeah, that he seems very imposing in the way that his other version of himself did not. One thing that especially character uh, character focused dialogue did in this film was uh, give you really quickly a setup of sort of what are going to be the main parts of their doppelgangers that are going to play a role later in the film. And so the boat with him and the, the, the track and field running with the daughter uh, the lighter trick with the sun and, you know, his fire obsession and mm -hmm. um, the mother's ballet story, um, dancing story with uh, when he's she's having the conversation on the beach. Like they they kind of felt if you really watch enough movies, you know, when the film is trying to tell you this is a major part of this character's life that's going to come back to play a role in this film later. And so you kind of I think most people can probably sense that this is an important part of her or him that we're supposed to pay attention to. But when they are brought back, it's brought back so smoothly. Like that, mm -hmm. that lake fight was really great. Uh, it was probably one of my favorite scenes in the film because it just, it just felt so uh, claustrophobic and so unlike other scenes I had, I, I, I felt like I had seen. Um, but at the same time, it was like, Oh, there's the jaws. I can hear the jaws music literally mm -hmm. within yeah. the actual music that they created for the scene. There's like a little bit of Hitchcock in the staccato strings. And like, there were all these sort of feelings coming at me from past cinema while also feeling like I was watching something brand new and not knowing what was going to happen. Um, it, but at the same know, time, it, like the boat, the little thing, the little line about the boat leaning left, like that plays a role. I, that's, it was really well-crafted. It, it speaks to, what I was saying about uh, Peel having a, a you know a bigger budget and bigger ambition for this film, where it could just the setup is like a home invasion story, but it goes past that. It gives you more locations to kind of follow along with and more opportunity to explore just some unique set pieces. And I, yeah, it does play off really well. And you get some, I mean, you get a a pretty brutal scene involving uh, Winston Duke Stoppelkanger and and, and kind of killing him pretty that. early in the film, which was mm -hmm. fairly a surprise and. I would agree because I thought I figured that he'd be gone, like based, just based off the trailers. Like, oh, so Winston Duke's gonna die early. It's like he doesn't. Like his <laughs> his main character stays throughout the entire movie. He's like, oh, good, good. The family lives. None, so, of, that's none of them really die. Yeah. No, they don't. Yeah, the whole family lives, and it's like that actually did, that made me feel good, even if it's you could argue maybe there's a convenience to creating scenarios where the family keeps managing to survive, but at the same time, it's like I don't care. Like I'm just happy this family made it out. <laughs> yeah, that was my only real. Um kind of like uh, a kerfuffle with the film, how they're, they seem to be the only family that's able to even slightly uh, ward off their doppelgangers. 
which was odd. That, we, don't, we don't know we that. We don't have for a big sh- enough sample size. Yeah, to, I think really. We, we don't know that for sure. And and Jordan Peele's now answering questions about whether or not there's an us verse, and there could be sequels. And he certainly seemed to not rule it out, but it felt like it, they were the only ones. But obviously, there have to be other situations well, yeah, in which get, families defend a, themselves. You're you're getting a man on the ground type of perspective where you just fall, you know, but not unlike any number of horror films that are that involve like an apocalypse of some kind where you're following just one group of people. You don't know what else is happening around the world. I mean, you know, so it's it's up for debate. I but I do. I mean, if you're watching a movie like this, there could be an expectation that they're going to be victims. Essentially, you're going to you know get that going and it doesn't have that element. But I don't necessarily think it's needed for this film to succeed either. I, I don't disagree that. Yeah, there's some mess. Mess, there's a little bit of messiness like it's not a perfect movie because what movie is so it's you know it's not going <laughs> to satisfy every single possible level of explanation and understanding and delivery but i i walked away feeling good about the idea that hey this family unit managed to make it out of this debacle even though there's still some you know unspoken tension that's going <laughs> to remain between adelaide and her son it seems who's pretty savvy it looks like and that's why i call it a kerfuffle because mm-hmm. it's not really like a serious problem or gripe or issue with the film it's just something that kind of caught my attention and maybe it's because the rest of the film is so tight that you start to look for something you look for a weakness and it's hard to find in this movie speaking to um seeing how the other side you mentioned like everyone has kind of their thing how they how they're defined uh that is really representative of Elizabeth Moss's character who mentions early on that she had plastic surgery, you know, a little plastic surgery done. Then you see her doppelganger and you see the scars on her face that represent like, okay, so when she was getting this done, this doppelganger had to do that herself in some manner. And it left these like these giant scars and stuff. So it's, it shows you the real brutality of these, of, of what's going on in the doppelganger under underverse or whatever you want to call it. Like they have to, I mean, the way the, like at Nyong'o's character describes how like the son, you know, the son was born and it was a breech birth. And so she had to, you know, get him out herself. It's like, oh, my God, there's some really horrific descriptions of what takes place down there beyond just eating raw rabbit. I thought I thought you said when you first saw it and you pointed out the fact that like this family was one of the only families beating their doppelgangers. You said that was like an, uh, that that meant something. I thought that was your whole point here. I think what probably was happening there was that I'm searching for meaning in the thing that I didn't, I don't feel like I understand. And only because everything else in the film seems very purposeful and intentional and not that it's a, it's not a plot hole. It's not, I don't think this film is one in which plot hole is the right description for anything. It rarely is. Right. It, it rarely, you're right. It rarely <laughs> yeah. is. But I, I do think that in a film that's so intentional and that he clearly thought everything out and he thought about every reaction that somebody might have I, I i don't i have no doubt that he thought okay well how do i answer the question or how do i at least put the the evidence in there of why this family why is this the family now obviously adelaide having the switch happen is one of the main is the main reason why this family is at the core of the story but mm-hmm. why is the rest of the family so good at defending itself possibly because she herself is the ultimate survivor. She's entered a world that is not hers, and she's managed to assimilate perfectly into it. 
and put herself in that position. So the kids she raises are naturally going to be incredible survivors as well. And she's not marrying a, some kind of loser out there who just some guy she met at a work party. This is all very intentional for her to continue to survive. So I guess at the end of the day, the only real question that this film raises that I feel like is difficult, if not impossible to answer, is why wouldn't she just refuse to go back to that beach if she knew that it was possible that everything she's worked for could be undone? Why it was, not it was, push it was almost harder. like a force of God, literally. You know, they mentioned a few times that God and, you know, the guy with the sign, like, basically pushed them into it. I, and I wonder about uh, what Jordan Peele's religious background is. Like, is he playing at that from his own interest or is he playing at that from a, like, uh, a commentary on America, again, notion of, so, like, it, there seemed to have been some higher, quote-unquote higher power pushing them along i mean yeah you can argue if there's a kind of a fate versus free will thing going on here but and i'm i'm not the biggest expert on like theology to kind of get into that discussion but i mean there's certainly a probably a biblical implication that can be read throughout this film i mean you, I mean, you even have like i mean literally Jer yeah, the guy jeremiah 11 11 yeah. like very yeah. prominently displayed in this film and if and the idea of like a you know a force of god moving her to be in this position it's you know i don't i wouldn't disagree that that's a possibility or, the, you know, you can rationally explain it as, well, she's lived this long in her life without going back there. Maybe she can go back. And, they, and she's previously gone back to San Diego. I mean, they've talked about being there before or whatnot. Maybe she's, just, maybe she's just become more and more comfortable with getting to that position leading up to when she finally kind of lets her guard down a little bit more, despite being, you know, seeing ominous signs that is like, oh, yep, now they're finally coming back at us. Yeah, um, but she had, she had nothing to do with that. I think that no, that yeah. was... Like her, the original uh, version of her who goes into that world essentially has been planning and trying to, you know, cause that and do that for all of this time. And it was yeah, there. It just, it just finally thing. happened. And yeah, I exactly. mean, given that they're doppelgangers, she knows when she's going to be there. So it's, um, and even then, like, there's a, if you want to go by that logic, like, one controls the other to some degree, right? So her being in the underverse moving around could be, you know, giving the, Adelaide version, like the setup needed to get her to go back to this position, right? Since they, they, they correspond with each other or whatnot. Like, there's the whole strings aspect. I don't know. That, that gets no, to the technical. You're, you're, you're onto an interesting point, though, because there was a moment in the film, and you just reminded me of it, where I thought this is kind of like that Bugs Bunny moment in Space Jam when he has the magnet under the golf ball. <laughs> Un <laughs> And I, I do wonder how much influence the under the, the the tethered have on the regular folk. I mean, it certainly it certainly seems like there's, and that's where I think a lot of people kind of point out how fast and loose it seems to play sometimes with it, where sometimes they replicate the motions of people and sometimes they don't. And that I do think that it has to to get back to why this family. It is also kind of Red's own undoing. It's kind of that Red being the Adelaide doppelganger character. Like it's the re the reason why they're part of the reason why they're able to survive is because as opposed to the other doppelgangers like Elizabeth Moss and Tim Heidecker's doppelgangers who just come in and immediately kill them, the Red characters she's been she and that family they've been planning this out. This has been a thing that's been planned for a while, and they don't just want to walk in and kill them. They want to toy with them. And so by giving the, the giving the main family that chance to live, they take that opportunity. They take that opportunity to outwit them. Um, even if they're being menaced all the way through it, they still have more of a chance than the ones that are coming at it at random and just killing their doppelgangers immediately. And there's 
there i think that i think that peels is trying to say something through that i mean sure he there's obviously a reasoning for that from a filmmaking standpoint of like why why position that and why show that in a way that allows us to you know analyze it whatever way you want um and i this okay this makes me like one of the first questions i had after i got out of it the first time was at some point, I think it was during the classroom scene where she's uh, Red's explaining things. The split diopter shot, which is yeah, awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. Um, there made me think a moment like, are the tethered actually aside from the fact that they're killing everyone? Are they are they actually representing or trying to say that there's like the good side of them, like that there's something better to them than the people on the surface? Like at some point, the people on the surface lost their way. And you know she does. She even makes that sign by ripping the two pieces of paper in half, saying like, trying to say, okay, you you've become untethered and lost your way, and that we're trying to get you back on track into being good people. Because so my other thought was essentially, what's the point of them being tethered and and connected? Like, is the world better if they are connected? And that in the last you know. 20 years since she's been gone from there that it's caused a rift and now some of them are disconnected and that the whole point of them coming up is to get that back on track and it made me wonder if like hey are the tethered not as bad as they really seem aside again aside from the fact that they come up and kill everyone well given the they're trying to do something and say so they're trying to do their little hands across america here they're that's a that was supposed to be a good thing (laughs) that gets into a number of different thoughts where i mean one obviously you know they kind of thematically you're you're providing a an underrepresented group the chance to rise out of the you know the the nothing and become you know meaningful become present become emboldened and empowered be like here we are this is us and you know we're doing our thing right now um in terms of their purpose or what have you i mean part of what red explains is that they didn't have a soul like the the whatever replication process took place they could only recreate the body but not the soul. And so whether or not they're good or bad, that's beyond the point. It's just, we were never even given a chance because we don't, we're not complete in some way. And by right, so maybe, maybe by rising out and coming up, we can show you that, Hey, we're here, uh, you know, give us a chance or whatever you want to describe that as, are they doing it in the most friendliest way? No, <laughs> they're, they're murdering yeah, people. Of course, of course. <laughs> but, but, but essentially the, this makes me think what you're saying is that would they have a soul? Would everything be quote unquote complete? If, they were like both in sync and they both were aware of each other and both, you know, I don't want to say supportive of each other, but, but that, you know, that, like that speaks, let it, that speaks, you know, that's, that speaks to why they were abandoned. It seems if you right. going by the movie's logic, it's some kind of government thing that just didn't work. And so they said, fuck it, we're leaving. Like, and that's what happened. So it's, <laughs> they never had the chance to be fully in Patico, in simpatico with their, with their doubles. It seems like it just wasn't going the way that it was intended initially. And that's and that's why I wonder if they were like trying to make a point and saying like, look what happens when you leave us behind. Look what happens when you don't finish what you're there. And of course, I mean, this is Peel has said that one of the themes is this idea of um, uh, not addressing the past and not being willing to look back and say this is what you know to 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 be so uh, clear in this is to like to say you know we we don't want to admit that we had slavery i mean we do but like we still want to downplay it or we don't want to admit that we slaughtered the native americans like things like that where looking back at our past it's almost like this hey look what happens when you don't we're going to come up and kill you literally if you don't recognize your past that was one idea that it made me think of what's the point of that disconnect between them and how they aren't complete and if if his notion of 
pointing that out and putting that in the film is to make us think about that idea. And if, if I mean, I maybe I'm being too glass half full and optimistic here. Is like, well, then maybe things will be better if we were to actually hold hands with our tethered and not only be tethered holding tethered people holding. But we, it. but no, but they don't hold hands with their tethered, right? Right, I know, but I'm saying like that that would be the notion of their complete then. Like if we actually address our past and bring them into it and come together as a whole as opposed to just one side coming together and the other side coming together. From a literal standpoint, I mean that's the it's the the idea was much more, you know, kind of evil as far as like the government just wanted to control everybody. Um but as far as what this movie's throwing out at you, it's like yeah, if there was a I guess that speaks back to the political aspect angle as well, where it's like if you did have tethered coming together and holding hands with their doppelganger, then everything would be fine or whatnot. And that's just not where we are. This is a movie made in the time that it's made. It's made in this Trump era where people are more divided than ever. And I think that's a and I think the movie's very conscious of that. And that's and that ha that can't not be at least part of what we're seeing here as far as seeing groups rising against each other in the most dramatic of ways. Right, because yeah, there's also an element in here of, okay, so the the family that we follow during the film is inherently good. They seem to be the good guys. They um, they they love seem each, to be. They, they, they seem, seem to be. They they seem to be good people uh, with a good heart, and they just they they don't deserve it. But then we have <laughs> the we have the Tim Heidecker, Elizabeth Moss couple who deserves the hell out of it. They suck, and. We want to see them die. And so that definitely gives you a sense of the, the tethered are no, not good nor bad. They're, they're not the opposite in terms of value or, or, or quality of people above. They're just copies, incomplete copies left to rot in a horrible existence that nobody ever even knew about in the first place. So it very it, at the very basic, I mean, this movie is all about poverty and about especially American poverty and the idea that for every, you know, decent wage, every every person who's living a sort of fairly, quote unquote, normal life in this country, there's somebody else living the exact opposite. When you go to the grocery store and you buy your buy you buy your groceries and you can't fit them in your trunk, there's somebody else doing the exact opposite of that, struggling for the slightest bite. And I, I do think that that's a really important message that the film gets across that I, I want to see more discussion about. And, and I, I think that it's important to have all of the sort of topics laid out in front of us that of what this film can represent. And from there, have small discussions about how the film presents those topics and how they presents the solution because the solution is terrifying for all of them and if it's if it's the republican red forming a wall in this country then that's a kind of weird scary thought in and of itself because of the way that it goes down in the film and if it's poverty and this is uprising this 99 percent type situation because the main family doesn't appear to be poor in any way um, they seem to be very well off they're not rich they're just sort of uh, i'd say middle class but their friends are upper class living in the glass house and mansion type situation so there's not one thing ever in this movie everything is not just even duality 
There's multiple layers to every single thing, and it makes it really difficult to just sort of have a very focused discussion. But at the same time, if you pick a topic, I think you can have a very focused discussion. And what he does well is make sure that you don't talk about that same thing for an hour and a half. You're talking about five to ten different things in short spurts, which is maybe more valuable. This is why I'm so frustrated when people like dismiss the film as being uh, uh, like not as deep as we think it is. I'm like, well, I, I can't I fundamentally disagree with that because there's so much going on here because there's so much to it. Like, and yes, maybe we're overanalyzing it. You know, I've actually thought about that in the last few days. Like maybe we're doing too much intense questioning on it. Like maybe maybe half these points don't matter or aren't really truly you, you there, but that doesn't you matter. You can't get in your head about that. You can't over, there's no movie you can't, you can overanalyze. Right, right. You can you you yeah. can't like you walk into I don't know fucking Slenderman. You can over you can overanalyze it all you want to. It might not mean something the same way to other people, but who cares? It's your thought process. And I'm more I'm much more happy to embrace something like a movie like this that you know is both very popular but also inherently challenging uh, <laughs> than not because yeah that's rewarding in some way that that gets you to think about things and it gets you to go to other movies i mean mike you're talking about how you want to embrace other horror movies now because of a movie like this which is that's a great like response to something like this to ju to jump on board other ideas other filmmakers uh you know output and, and see what else you can come up with there just because of how interested you are whether it's newfound or not um i had a couple flights this week and i so i just started with going back to hitchcock I've seen them all. I love Hitchcock, but I want to just kind of go back. And one of the movies I watched was Strangers on a Train, which actually Great. has a lot of really interesting, having seen it a couple of days after Us, has a lot of different things that reminded me of Us. I mean, there's a scene in that movie. Uh, oh, man, Alex hasn't seen it, so... <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, I mean, you're yeah, you're there, there, there is a lot of duality in that yes. movie, and it's, yeah. and it's very effective. And there is there there are some yeah there are some pivotal scenes in that movie that really do a great job of showing you the kind of opposites um, of of the characters involved. It, it, yeah. Yeah. And so there's one, uh, there's it, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I just I'm I'm glad that we've got a movie right now for this year at least that I think everybody will rally around saying, at the very least, yeah, that's an objectively good movie. Whether you feel the way we do as we're talking about it, whether you want to actually like dissect it and think about it, or whether you just say, objectively, that movie was a high-quality movie. I think that it's, it, I would have a really hard time believing somebody who wanted to argue it is just not a good movie, period. Because quality is, you know, is not as subjective as a lot of the other things in cinema. I mean, just being able to look at it on the surface and say that movie was considered. Somebody thought through the things that happened during that movie, and it's well, it's well lensed. It, the editing makes sense. The music is good. That's subjective, but it just the pieces are there. So whether or not we can get people who don't want to see horror films to see it, that I think is the biggest next challenge. And I think having conversations like we're having, putting them in writing, getting them on platforms that don't usually talk about horror films, that's how we're going to get people to the movies to see something like this. That's how you get $70 million of the box office in a movie like this. And how you get my wife to say, I want to see it again. So... 
you know, there should be more movies like this. And I, I unfortunately, he's busy making other things now, but I would love to see a sequel to this at some point, if only to just continue to live in that world, because I was so fascinated by it. But I'm sure he'll come up with something even better and even more different. And that's the beauty of a talented filmmaker, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, sequel or not, like it's not, I don't necessarily need an extension of this universe, but yeah, just more of this kind of filmmaking from Peel, which I don't, he's not inclined not to do, given the success that he's had doing this again and getting the same kind of reception again. Um, so, you know, yeah. he's, and he's got this, his whole Twilight Zone coming out as well. So we'll see where that goes. Um, well, that's as, the I thing guess, is producing. this is um, the, one of the first seasons of the Twilight Zone has an episode that's pretty much what we just saw in this movie. Yeah, and I love yeah, that he he's, mirror image mirror image. Yeah, I'm, I love that he's able to pull that out and say, I can I can make this something new and fresh and very different. But at its core, something that if somebody watched that episode, they'd be like, oh, yeah. And to think that he probably watched that episode in making Twilight Zone, I wonder what what came first, whether he saw that and started thinking about this movie or whether he. Well, I, I don't know, but I just feel like it's we're very fortunate to be able to have in just one week or a few days, I guess, more mm-hmm. Jordan Peele, except for the fact that nobody has CBS All Access. But that's... <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Um, <laughs> I mean, speaking to, I guess, the reception of this film. Yeah, I, I don't think you're wrong as far as I, I even with the negative reviews that are out there or just general audiences that weren't as kind of taken in by it i yeah you can't deny that there's a skill in filmmaking here like no one's saying like you know not only is the story bad but the camera movement sucked like no one's like going to that length as far as how to describe this film yeah you can i i you know i've read some uh, from critics that i respect that's that you know are just not into like where it goes or how the second half in terms of its intensity or what have you but there's still like always an appreciation of what he's doing as a director to you know develop you know whether it's in how he how his score placement works or what he's doing with the camera or hitting on hitting on ideas even if they're not convinced that they're successfully handled or whatnot i disagree but i can still i can understand that perception perception but yeah the i mean the key thing is yes peel has certainly grown as a filmmaker since his last time out which is already a strong you know first showing and you know i was sitting um, on the other side of me was this guy very uh, exaggerated reactions. Was it Keegan? <laughs> he, I, I well, if I had to give you a, some kind of visual on what kind of hand motions and body flailing he did, it was similar to that. Um, he reacted throughout the film in that way that oftentimes I think it's just you associate only with the cheesiest of horror films where he was like, don't go in there. Oh, what are you doing? Stop. When he was very upset when the girl was hiding behind the car and then looked under the car. And I was sort of trying to figure out like, does this guy hate this movie? Is he angry that the characters are making these decisions and the filmmaker is making, is making them or is he just so into it that he's like, don't do it. You're going to die or whatever. Um, I was really kind of like almost distracted by it or not distracted because I was still super into the film, but uh, just fascinated. And I should have asked him if he liked it afterwards, but it's interesting how a movie like this is treated differently by everybody. 
I because I I never once was like actually worried about the well being of any of the characters. I was like, just do it, whatever you want, Jordan Peele, do it. I'm ready. And other people are just so just they just can't fathom. Don't let this person get hurt. Oh God, what are you doing? Don't go in that room. Um, and it's just so interesting of a genre to me. And I haven't spent a lot of time with it, especially in theaters. And so to be around those kinds of reactions is always just so much fun. I tend to surprise myself that way when I watch horror films, especially ones that are have more traditionalist ideas as far as just being a visceral experience, whether it's a slasher or just a monster movie or what have you. Because as much as I'm willing to like think about the you know headier ramifications of a film, I'm also happy to be on the edge of my seat thinking, "Hey, what? Well, just drive away, like or whatever." Like just react that way in the theater. Like that's that is very much part of my own DNA when I watch a movie that has that kind of excitement going on. I I want to. I want to step into the frame and say, get in the car and drive off right now. What do you do? Like, it's just a lot of that, which is fun. I mean, and I, regardless if you like a movie or not, and I do think having a pure black and white version of what your takeaway is, I think too many, you know, odd, too many general audience members that tend to describe a movie as like, it was good, but, or I, you know, I didn't like it because of this, because it was because of the emotion I felt. That's not assessing the actual quality of the film. That's going off of what your emotional state was following it, where it's like, yeah, I, I didn't like that because, you know, I didn't like that, she, you know, we were, she was her twin and that made me feel bad. Like that's a, th- that's not speaking to whether or not you like that's speaking to, you know, your emotional response, which is what the, that's, that's a success in my eyes. That's something where you're thinking, yes, you reacted that way. And that's good. That's a good takeaway to have that you feel for the characters or you feel for what the story delivered for you. Like that's a, there's a better way for you to approach your opinion than just saying, yeah, I didn't like it. Like, <laughs> yeah. I have a friend who I'm, I'm, I'm very anxious to hear the reaction from, cause he's one of those guys who will, who actively, subverts the sort of public conversation right if it's if it's uh if if somebody if everybody's talking about how deep and thought-provoking a movie is or how good a twist is he just like it's somehow in his nature he just has to not like it or think it's overrated or whatever it's so fucking annoying but it also is something i look forward to when movies like this come out because sometimes every once in a while it's good and it's just good enough to actually captivate him and it's like this weird little litmus test. Uh, if it breaks him, I feel like it, it, ha- it has – that's like my cinema score, put it that way. Here's a question. <laughs> uh, we see movies a lot, so I, I can't imagine that neither of you were taken way off guard by this. But did you expect what was happening at the end as far as Lupita Nyong'o's character? I, di- I didn't at first, but then you can clearly put it together. I, I was – I don't want to say I was waiting for a twist, especially with like Shyamalan leading the way in terms of like there's going to be something right at the end that throws a twist. But I didn't pick up. I will admit I didn't pick up on it when I was first watching it. I, I will say that at least. I never picked Mike? up. On, I I I am actually usually pretty pretty good at catching on to those things, and he, I, either I missed it or he really dug deep on that. I did not see it coming. That being said, I also totally understood when it happened. Yeah, you it's know? certainly not a cheat in any way. Right. Like it, I, it adds up, and I'm sure, Alex, you've seen it twice now. You can yeah, easily yeah. pick up all the clues that kind of led to that. Yeah. Um, I will say I was suspicious. I, I'm, not, I, I also, I'm also not one that tends to – because I don't – honestly, I just don't try to do that. My mind doesn't work that way. I tend to be invested in the movie as I'm watching it as opposed to thinking ahead. So it, it's either because I'm 
my mind is working so quickly that I'm like, I'd want to know everything about this, or I just hate the experience, so I'm just drifting. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, this will probably happen. But in this case, yeah, I was just like, it came early on as far as when they're talking about the daughter not speaking, and I'm thinking, huh, what if, what if something else is going on here? And, and I didn't confirm that myself. By the time I got there, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like it, that was that was kind of the reaction I had. It's like that's good. That's. I think it's I think it's all due to his like slow burn reveal of it. Like he goes yeah. back to that that first moment of her in the mirror house like four times before yeah. he finally at the end fully shows you what happens. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's a it's a classic misdirection, but still it worked. And you get some little you get some little hints where. Each time Adelaide kills somebody, she's kind of making these guttural noises and whatnot. It's yeah. like, huh, there's, some, hmm, there's a lot of, there's some stuff going on here. Well, the, I will say, though, I wasn't, I guess I wasn't completely caught off guard. I just didn't attribute it to being that, which is when, especially when uh, early in the film, the mother is talking to the psychotherapist or whomever and says, I just want my daughter back. It felt very... That felt very intentional. At the moment, I was like, huh, I wonder what that means. Yeah. Um, I understood what it's what he hopes we will just think it means, but it felt like much more than that. And after the film, you know, once that reveal had happened, I had looked back and been like, I did. I, I did. Subconsciously, I just somehow knew that line was it. But <laughs> it's like... It, 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 the film takes you on this journey that's so captivating. You don't just add things up as you go, right? You okay, get lost it, along yeah. the way. And then part- uh, later in the film, though, you know, she's like, there's somebody else mentioned that she mentions that she has that she has trouble speaking sometimes, and that uh, the the inability to continue the dancing that she used to be so good at, and all these other sort of nuggets that I think when you watch it again. If you pick that one thing to focus on, it's going to be everywhere. There, it also, I guess, you could be thrown off just based off how the film speaks to the theme, or that the the character speaks to the theme of the film, where you're watching Adelaide get kind of, and even the to the kids to an extent, get drawn more and more to kind of darker behavior to justify their actions, where they have to kill to stay from being killed. And so your mind might just be more thinking, oh, we're not so different because look how look how violent we have to be when required to be so. So you're you're it, you might just be you know instead of thinking she's clearly you know been switched at birth or what have you, instead it's just like look how far they have to go down so they can fight back against those that are coming against them. Like it's so it's it's, it's playing with you and very much on I, purpose. I thought I the first time I saw it I thought she was becoming one of them. Yeah, that's but what that, I'm saying. That, like it, oh, yeah. oh, I see. Okay, so like evol like literally evolving into one. <laughs> but that doesn't line up with like once you actually understand within the mythology what they are, what the tethered yeah. are. That didn't line up and I was like, yeah. "Oh, okay. I kind of, you know, obviously by the end you threw I threw that out because I was like, well, I mean, not only is she a tethered, but like the idea that you you don't you're not really becoming a tethered. They yeah, they simply are different factions. It's not the descent <laughs> where they're becoming like cave monsters to fight their way out of this. <laughs> Should we briefly also talk about uh, the one theory that's out there that the sun is is also a tethered that's been switched out? I haven't heard that. Yeah, I read it, and I don't I don't buy it anymore. It's too. It, like the 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 extent to which he goes to make Lupita's character be believable on the above ground world 
having come from the tethered world is like an extensive amount of she couldn't talk at first and you know all these things that she goes through and blah 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 but with the kid it, like it would have been i think the, the 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 version i read online they tried to make the claim that like oh in a, a previous time they had been to santa cruz he had an experience similar to her where he got switched and i was like that's just they would have noticed i do believe and that all the points that this article pointed out when i saw it again for a second time today i was like they're there, but they're not there enough. And the only thing that came to mind was this idea that um, – I forget the reference I, I was trying to think of once where like maybe there was something special about this kid that could see things differently. Like he was the only one who took his tethered and immediately dominated him. But to me that and, was a fairly obvious thing because in the closet he discovered that they're mirror images. He discovered – yeah, that yeah, they that's what I'm are tethered. So he knew, and he just had to remember in that moment how that worked. There was some other thing where, like the kid, like a kid is able to because he's so pure and not yet ruined by the world in adulthood, is able to pick up on things differently. And yeah, there was yeah, something like that that made that's... me think, okay, maybe he's a little bit more in tune to who she really is, not not because he is one of them, but because he he's he's different in, that, in a childhood that's... way. That's how I thought of it, and as far as, yeah, like, innocence, or even with, like, animals, how animals always know first, that kind of thing, where it's just, like, there's a purity, exactly what you're saying, there's a purity to it that kind of has them. At the same time, you know, we don't know how the the genes make up of, like, a character, you know, having offspring, like, with one of their doppelgangers as opposed to a regular human, whatever that means, so maybe, like, the daughter picked up more, you know, traits from the father, where she's seemingly, quote-unquote, normal, where, like, the kid's described as quirky, you know, because he's different or whatnot, and and I'm doing like fantastic Mr. Fox hand symbols. He's different. Um, it's uh, it, it, you know maybe he has more more traits in common with with Adelaide's character, who is like you know a, a soulless copy version of the real person. Like maybe that's part of it as well. I yeah. also don't I'll, even I'll... know that it's a hundred percent that sh- that he knows it. I think he. I honestly think it could be as simple as he looked at her, she looked at him. And they knew they got away with it. She knows that she got away with what the big the big it, and he knows that they got away from the big scary shit that's been going down. It's ambiguous. Yeah, it is. Per- it's like it's not like he's saying you're one of them. Stop the car. Like it's just more of I have a look here, and you could read that a lot of ways. Also, every uh, horror film ever, the kids are always sort of they just know everything. They mm-hmm. that's an inherent I feel like horror genre thing. The kids are are twice as smart as adults and only become stupid because they become adults. And it's just a good ending. Like, it's better to end on something like that as opposed to like, hey, we're alive. Ah, let's play. Uh, <laughs> put I Got so Five fun. on it back on. Yeah, but, yeah, put the song on, guys. It's our favorite. It's our, it's our family jam now. <laughs> I love, I, I, we should talk about the music more, but I love the, you know, obviously, you know, it's coming because of the trailers that it comes up on the radio. I love when it comes back again, at, which is after like the fuck the police and everything like it comes back again <laughs> after yeah. they've dispatched the Tyler family. And it's like they just put it back on the thing. And then it comes back in that whole creepy remix version during the ballet choreographed showdown, which I thought was just expertly filmed. It's just so cool. I do love the music choices. And I I mean, it's it... <laughs> Someone mentioned that maybe it was you, Mike. Someone mentioned that the music stands out more than the score, and I, I, I don't. I love the score equally with the music. Well, I think the that theme, I can remember the theme, which I can't yeah. say about a lot of films these days. I think it just depends on whether or not you call that opening uh, choir piece 
part of the soundtrack, which it is, because um, the composer it... made that. Yeah. Yeah, oh, wow. Mike, okay. It's all Mike Abel's. Like, it's all what he's been. Uh, Michael yeah. Abel's. Sorry. <laughs> but, but obviously, uh, you know, there's more than just orchestral score here. There are lots of different forms of, of, of music. And to be able to just add to the sort of pantheon of violent scenes set to nonviolent music is always something I'm in for. And, well, I guess Fuck the Police is a somewhat violent song, but uh, it, the, the, the action and the song were untethered, pun intended, good, I guess. It, it's a good joke <laughs> as far as her saying call the police and they play Fuck the Police. But even before that, you have good vibrations on the soundtrack, which is a wonderful way to, to balance yeah. out the... The, you know the horror that's the one like i pointed this out on on my podcast that's the one like real scare that actually got me when you suddenly realize oh there are other doppelgangers which i'm sure we probably expected like that that's not just that family but at the same time you're spending so much time with the with you know with the moss and heidecker family and you know something's going to happen because why else would you be showing them for an extended period of time? But it's how matter of fact that the twin doppelgangers come out and just stab them right away, where it's like, oh, okay, like that's we, we've gone here now, and that that actually did get me as far as like a scary, mo- like a truly scary moment in the film. Yeah, I that sorry, <laughs> no, I, the, the score is iconic too in terms of I, I love that the piece when they're doing the ballet, um, or not the ballet, the. Uh, the classroom fight that that piece is awesome and the way it comes in i didn't it's from the trailers and i didn't expect it to be in the movie and it plays perfectly into that scene and now there's it's becoming like meme worthy where there's already things online where you just put that music on another piece of footage and it becomes like us level footage yeah like um, the parent trap which you also haven't seen <laughs> a lot of films i haven't seen according to mike yeah including classics such as hitchcock strangers on the train and and, um, and the modern and, classic and, in the mod, in the modern classic, uh, Nancy Myers, the Parent Trap. These are these are basically what you're telling me is that uh, once you see us for some good follow-up film material, you can watch the Parent Trap. Yeah, you put you put all you put all these on the list. You get The Shining, you get Strangers on a Train, you get some classic Twilight Zone, you get you get the Parent Trap. But guys, yeah, this is my favorite thing about a movie like this, is that it makes other movies way more fun than they have any right to be. So now, if you watch the Parent Trap. Or you watch any movie with twins ever again, this movie will come to your head. And it will just change it a little bit. And it's just so much fun. I don't know if he knew that that would happen. You know, I don't think any filmmaker knows that they're about to become a zeitgeist film. You know, because zeitgeist is a word that's thrown around a lot. But to me, it means people are going to watch The Parent Trap with Lindsay Lohan and start to think about us. And that's fun. And I'm just excited to sort of roll up on a lot of different things in my real life and in watching movies that are going to remind me of this movie. Because it's just one. It's one of those. It just it, it goes in your brain and it stays there. And and I, I think I, I didn't expect that out of this movie. Because Get Out, I loved Get Out. But I managed to love that movie and still find it to live on its own and be its own thing. But, uh, you know, then the opening credits of this come in and the monkey paw logo with the T, and I'm like, fuck, that's that damn T again. So, <laughs> you know, I wonder if it will last. I think this will last a lot longer than Get Out did for me in terms of the sort of just everyday things that now have different meaning. But well, there's there's more evocative imagery in us as far as like just like red jumpsuits and golden shears. That's a you know that's going to be a Halloween costume from now on. Like that's just what it is. Like I mean that's it's hard to speak about the legacy of a film as it's you know only a week out of the box office. But 
re- regardless of what that is, I it speaks back to what Alex you were saying. Like it, I, I like that we're having this conversation. I like that there's a lot to discuss here. Wh- whether we're going to apply separately or whatever the same amount of you know thought to Avengers Endgame or whatever else you know that's going to going to be a major presence throughout this year. I like that us is a part of that conversation because there's not going to be another movie that's really like this for the rest of this year at least. So it's yeah, yeah it's rewarding in that right. way. Final observations sorts. I only have one cool one that I I, I loved. I noticed it again today the second time. Is it at the very beginning when she goes into the uh, find yourself ride thing? There's this the very first time. It's never any other time in the rest of the movie. There's this like voiceover of the ride, like a pre-recorded thing on the not the ride, but the walkthrough uh, um, find yourself thing. Yeah, and it's I'm pretty sure it's Jordan Peele doing the voice. Yeah, I was very. Um, I thought that was it because I'm yeah. like, he's, he's got to make his cameos. I'm here, and <laughs> yeah, it is. Probably. It's so great because it's like clearly this cheesy thing. But and the other thing is, you can't hear a lot of it very well. It's very, very quiet, like background. And I want it to. And I hope one day someone will transcribe it. I guess probably when it comes out on on Blu-ray. But I want to like read through what he was saying. I, I don't think it's suddenly gonna like enlighten it, but. It made me wonder, like, what is what is if Peel himself decided he needed to do the voice for this first walkthrough? What is she? Uh, what is he saying there that she's that she's hearing subconsciously or something? Like, what is what is it? Because it was uh, it's a funny little moment. Because I love it, it. Just also reminds me of like the super cheesy recorded voiceover when you go to Disneyland on all these rides and things. And it's just it's funny that <laughs> is that this beer getting thing. larger or are you <laughs> yeah. getting small? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's that was one thing. I, and the other thing I noticed um, this time around was almost like a subtle climate change thing, because that's that's like one of the ne- things that, you know, thematically with, with America and in the world in general is generally referenced in films nowadays, but not as much in this, except there was there was two little things I noticed, which was the trash cans near the, the bathroom at the beach were uh, like very cheesy painted like please don't litter with a shining, you know, picture of a sunrise on it. Um, and then it made me think, Mike, you were talking to me about the rock that he, uh, kills, um, uh, uh, what's her name? Um, Elizabeth Moss's character when he's at the home, when at their home. And I was thinking like, is this some subtle way of saying that at the end of the day, climate change and earth itself is going to kill someone like jesus <laughs> alex I was, I was i was like hey man it's a rock you were saying that everyone has been commenting on saying how everything every kill device and every little piece means something i'm like well what else can the rock mean isn't it a g isn't it a geode yes nonetheless it is a if, uh, if 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 you let's uh, okay an fine object from the earth fine you want to go into if this it's a, if let's... it's a geode it's something that you find it's something that you find underground it also there's more underneath the surface than you believe yes oh you Ooh. have and and usually it's split in half and that's the only way you see the beauty in it yeah exactly um but I, it, the reason why that was brought up was because we were talking about the weapons and i always thought it was interesting i'd love to see like an alternate poster where the 11s are made out of the the fire poker and the baseball bat. And Uh this is sort of like, there are these things that will never be brought up in conversation. No one's ever going to ask Jordan Peele if they have that one moment to ask a question, you know, did you intend for the weapons to have a sort of oblong vertical nature uh, to them? Like what, 
I, I'm. This is when we start to really look into this movie too far, and that to me, you know, like I was like, okay, so why do they each have these weapons? Like, obviously, they're things that are around this house, but at the same time, it's like not. It's not uh, completely without purpose. So uh, it's, th this movie is uh, is is one that has incredible depth both in what it's trying to say and also the little details that you get to see when you watch it again. And I, I, I actually am most looking forward, not to seeing it again in theaters, which I want to do, is watching it on my iPad and just being able to just control the frame as often as I want. Pick, pick apart everything, freeze frame here, freeze frame there. When it comes out on iTunes, I will be watching it that first night and I will be stopping and starting a lot. And hopefully there's a good commentary because this, if anything, needs one. He didn't do one for... Wait, no, he did do one for... What am I talking about? I review Blu-rays. Yes, he did one for Get Out. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be cool to have, you know, the same thing that happens with some of the bigger blockbuster, like the Christopher Nolan movies. There's Sometimes there's like the psychology of Lost, the psychology of, uh, of Inception. There's like this whole series of cinema books and how they break down the whole psychology of them um, and the characters within. And I think that that's something I would really like to see as an expert, not in cinema, but an expert in how we operate as human beings talk about this movie. Well, that's that. I mean, that's what we're getting already as far as, you know, various critics and uh, film scholars and whatnot that are writing about this film. And that's something I, I very much like looking at when it comes to movies that I you know, want to spend some extra time with for whatever reason. And, you know, the down the line legacy of a film like this, you know, you'll get, you know, the autobiographies or what have you that'll delve further into it. And, but yeah, I won't doubt that there will be at least, you know, some good stuff to come on the universal Blu-ray, like the Comcast universal Blu-ray release of, uh, of, of us when it hits uh, home media. Sure. Which is something I think I think I do think Bloomhouse I think Jason Bloom like does have a handle on that as well I think he's the kind of guy that appreciates adding some extra stuff on his uh his releases for because yeah, I think he he's a film fan that gets what fans really like about you know movies like this that you, I hope you, know, so. you want yeah. you want a bit more I say yeah. it a lot on here I just I, I really wish we could get back to a golden age of bonus features in which the craft of filmmaking is no longer a hidden secret. And that people understand the next generation of filmmakers really actually comes from the current generation talking about how it works and how it's made and why it's made. And a lot of times the best place to do that is not on a three-minute interview on YouTube by Empire Magazine, but actually by doing behind-the-scenes videos and commentary and other just sort of additional content. Like, show us how it works. I want to see it because I, I'm I'm I mean I'm in I'm because you're a I'm, film nerd. Right? I'm a film nerd, but I'm also like I'm still learning as a filmmaker as well, and yet there are younger people looking up to them to understand how this works and how and it just film school is not where you learn this shit. I went to film school. I haven't gone to all of them, but they just they're not how how many of them are going to really study us and think about how this works. So I, I, I really hope that that happens. I actually think that that's the one thing I'm going to really pay attention to and hope that it exists. And if you guys see anything, you need to share it with me, like, immediately. <laughs> well, that, that speaks to, you know, like, the, the smaller boutique kind of 
uh, home media dealers like Shout Factory or Arrow or whatnot that you know put the time and effort Criterion obviously too like to put the time and effort to get in filmmakers that want to speak to these things and filmmakers much like owning films from Criterion or what have you like Ryan Johnson is a huge fan of having a lot of special features and commentaries and making ofs and whatnot. I mean it helps that he you know made one of the best Star Wars films ever no contest but I mean it, you know it, it's nice that he's he's still willingly to willing to show all the tricks. Yeah. Well, thank like you so much vaguely, for... I like to get vaguely controversial at the end of podcasts <laughs> <laughs> by saying obvious statements like Last Jedi is amazing. Like, so. Yeah, Dang. unpopular opinion, jeez. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your thoughts. Obviously, this movie's not one that an hour and 45 minutes can even summate, but we tried. I, I like to be on podcasts where we can match the runtime of the film. So yeah, it's, it's good. <laughs> well, our Avengers podcast, long, our Avengers podcast will be something else then, I guess. There you go. That one's going to run for three days. You might as well just camp out and listen. No, I hope not. Um, no, no, Aaron, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having me for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Where can, where can uh, people find you regularly? Where's your hangout? Well, uh, if you like hearing me speak about things, I co-host a podcast with my friend Abe on the show called Out Now with Aaron and Abe, which we talk about, We much like you guys, we have a uh, show focused on the weekly movie releases. We also do commentary tracks every month, uh, one a month. We just did one for The Matrix, which was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, that's on iTunes and everywhere you can find podcasts. I write uh, written reviews over at weliveentertainment.com, and I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Cool. What does uh, Mike wanted me to ask? What does the PS4 stand for? <laughs> Um, when I started Twitter and it was Aaron's PS3, I used to write from the perspective of my PlayStation 3. <laughs> and I just kind of held on to the moniker and obviously upgraded one there was PS4. <laughs> so. Yeah, but now it's like iconic. Like, I can't think of you without the PS4. But you yeah, that's why I don't change PS4 it. Pro? I haven't made that step. Although I do already have the Aaron's PS5. Like, I already have that Twitter account <laughs> for whatever oh. that actually happens. <laughs> Might as well get the uh, six and the seven. Just like I think going. if you go to that link, it says "See Aaron's PS4" or something like that. <laughs> well, mine's not as exciting. Mine's Eisenhower Thirty, but people know that, I guess, at this point. Yeah, and you, your your doc is out as of January. Are you working on anything new, Mike? No. Uh, we've been touring our documentary all over the country, so we just had our hundred and fiftieth screening of it, and. Uh, we're going to find out if people are actually buying it <laughs> and watching it uh, when we get our first quarter numbers soon. But, uh, yeah, we're just trying we're just trying to get the word out. It's Two Errors Human is the name of it. And if you like documentaries, I would love for you to give it a shot. What's yeah. the subject? It's about health care. It's, it's about uh, patient safety, which is medical errors and the people working to fix them and prevent them. Uh, my, this is something my dad was – uh, had a, a huge role in before he passed in 2002. And so it's just an opportunity for me to sort of better understand that world, but also try and share it with people. And I think it's done a lot of good work, but it's not, it's not one you'd find unless you hear about it. So, you know, get the word out if you like it. Oh, well, very cool. Cool. And as always, you can find me at firstshowing.net and on firstshowing or at firstshowing and on letterboxd slash firstshowing. <laughs> wherever first showing can be found so um thank you all for listening and uh if you have any feedback let us know and yeah we'll catch you all again soon okay bye